You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. You know where to get it. Just come and get it. Come get it. Come get it right now. Right now, baby. I'm Chris Perfett, the adequate host at P-E-R-F-E, Chris Perfett, at Chris Perfett, P-E-R-F-E-T-T, screwing up already how to give you the Twitter handle. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Google Google Play. Chances are, if you're listening already, you've already figured out at least one way to listen to it. But maybe you're listening in the browser. That's fine too. You can find them on every web, on every page at prideofdetroit.com. But we'd much rather you have it downloaded. Uh, Jeremy Reisman is here, the fearless leader at Detroit Online. Jeremy is back once again. Is he in Lansing still, or is he? Are you? No, back? I made it back to undisclosed location. Undisclosed location, which is in the Detroit metro area. That's right. I will. I will dox you. I will. I will dox you immediately with your real name. Your real name is me. Okay, Jeremy Reisman. Oh, you got the horror. The horror. Uh, No Ryan today. He is off doing things. Instead, we've got Hamza Bakush back in the house once again. Hamza, hello, hello. Hi, mom. Yes, Hamza (laughs) is Hamza's the mom's boy. He wants to always say. Hello to his mother. Who listens? But wait, Who wait, you got, you, you got to push his, his Twitter account. We got to get that up to 1K by yeah, the end of, by now the that, of the year. Now that Hamza is back on Twitter, it is Hamza, H-A-M-Z-A-P-O-D. Hamza P-O-D. Get on it. Oh, that's it. Hamza was freed. He's got to get back and surpass me in Twitter follows. That's how it works. I, anyway. That's my goal for him, too. <laughs> What do we got on this week's show, Chris? What have we got on this week? Well, were you tired of talking about football? Were you ready, Jeremy, to sit down here and talk about all the meanderings of the offseason, all of the grinding sloth that comes with people springing hope eternal in the sunshine mind, trying to talk about draft picks that will absolutely not bomb in any universe, but they'll bomb for everyone else, but not for your team. You want to get the free agent picks that will be absolute steals, and they will absolutely sign with a podunk town like Detroit. Okay. That's right. That all okay, those things geez. are going to happen this week. No, 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 no. We're talking about football. We are going to start. We got some lines for agency coming up in the next segment. We're going to talk about the offense. Stick around. A lot of good stuff there. But first, we open with the Alliance. That's it. That's their name now. As, as was clear on the broadcast, the Alliance. <laughs> The Alliance of American Football, to be spice, just in case you're thinking about the Rebel Alliance or something. I don't know. <laughs> they played games yesterday. We were recording on Sunday. They were playing more games right now. We are watching. So we don't have it up on the TVs like we did for Saturday. You know, Saturday was on CBS. You could half the most of the country got San Antonio and San Diego. Southeast got Orlando and Atlanta with Steve Spurrier dumping 40 points on a team from Georgia. Gee, who could have ever seen that coming? That's like a hallmark of Spurrier's career. But now we're watching the Birmingham-Memphis game on their online tracker, which honestly, it reminds me of electronic football. <laughs> it basically is electronic football, and it's, it's a fantastic display of what, can, what technology can do. But I don't see the point in it yet. Yeah, this one, like, I, I see them for, like, half a second lined up before the snap once. I guess there must be trackers in their helmets or something. It's kind of bewildering to watch, to be honest. 
But yeah, and I, in a way, it's kind of a microcosm for the league in that like it's impressive that they're doing all of these new things that the NFL either can't do or is unwilling to do, but it hasn't quite come together yet to make something pretty. Well, I, I, I think for for the electric for the for this tracker thing here, yes. For the games, I might disagree. Uh, they were fun, and immediately, I think we saw what not having twenty years of innovation has done to us. It has made us all starve for literally anything except for a new sky cam. <laughs> like anything, it's taken that long to get anything new into the NFL, and I think that's half of the reason. Uh, so, what 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 did you guys watch? Because I was mostly glued on the San Antonio San Diego game. Um, I guess I'll start this one. Um, I'm declared my allegiance to the Orlando Apollos a few weeks back. Um, big fan of their punter, Ben Turk. Of course, I'm a fan of the punter, and that's why. Um, <laughs> yeah, but always love to see some more football. I've got football now every weekend until the end of the school year and then the draft, and so I'm a happy man. Um, but definitely, I think it was great to see, um, obviously, the innovative stuff, getting rid of the kickoffs. Shorter commercials obviously helped their case. Um, but most notably the kickoffs, because that was something that people made a big fuss about before. But when you're watching the game, I didn't see anyone really pick up on that. You, you didn't even pay attention to the fact that there weren't kickoffs. And so I thought that was uh, something good because there's, there's a lot of fuss right now about the NFL removing them and people saying that they'll be missed. But once they were gone, I really didn't even realize until after the game that they got rid of them. And so I really liked it. And I'm a big fan of the new onside kick rule. Um, they do fourth and 12 from your own, I think 35. Um, Oh, 28. Okay. Yep. Uh, what I would prefer is something like fourth and 15 from your own 25, but obviously that's something that'll come later with different success rates and things of that nature, but definitely something the, the NFL should look at because right now um, it's just not working. There's a I'm, lot of things that I think the NFL should look at. Uh, Jeremy, go first. What's like the one innovation you would point to right here? Um, I, well, I, I think kickoffs was a big one too, and I'm kind of surprised to hear our special teams expert be in favor of eliminating kickoffs. You know what? <laughs> but, you, no, no, I have to, I have to give it to you. You won on that. I was standing for kickoffs not like a year ago because I yeah. thought there was still like a, a point of excitement to get a game started. And quite honestly, it was weird when the game started, but then right after that, it was like, oh, I didn't even notice we missed kickoff. Yeah, I think in the game you don't, you don't sense it. I, I do think maybe there needs to be some some sort of ceremony to kick off a game because just having Heinz Ward stand in the field and awkwardly like slam it down on the 25 didn't really do it. I don't think for anybody, but at the same time, like maybe we just, I would just say maybe we need kind of like a ceremonial first pitch. Just have a guest person come out there and kick the ball down the field. Or something. That would not end well. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> no, I know. I look, look, we can't even get people to throw a first pitch over home plate. So I mean, exactly. I mean, you saw what happened with the, uh, the whole, um, what was it? The, the bar in Chicago where they, they did the 45 yard field goal challenge after Cody Park. Well, I didn't see that. Were, were they kicking off a kickstand or were they, what was someone place holding for them? There was a T there was a T. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes it even worse then. But, but going back to the AF, I, I think, I think just the overall pace of the game was so nice. The, the game finished at about Both two hours and 30 in, minutes. Yeah. Both clocked in around two thirty. Yep. Yep, and you know a normal NFL game these days are about three fifteen, so that's forty five minutes taken off. That's a significant chunk, and there's a, a whole bunch of different reasons for that. You know, part of it is is the no kickoffs, part of it is the no or less commercials, shortened uh, halftime, shortened play clock from forty five seconds to thirty five seconds. Um, just a very brisk game, and and a lot of things that I was worried about the league, like um, the uh, the the kind of odd defense rules where. Um, the only people that are lined up on the line of scrimmage can blitz and you can only have five people lined up on the line of scrimmage unless, you know, the other teams in like a goal line formation. And um, you kind of thought that would hinder the defense quite a bit and and make it easy on the quarterbacks, but we didn't see a lot of good quarterback play on Saturday and we didn't see a lot of scoring. So um, I think maybe that was actually a smart move to kind of have temporarily while the offensive line is kind of getting their shit together, so to speak, uh, to, to kind of limit what you're throwing at them because if if we're being honest, one thing that did stick out to me was that it wasn't a great level of play. It, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't sloppy. It was guys who know how to play the game, but just not like supremely talented guys out there. You didn't see any really standouts to me 
that were like, ooh, this guy's going to make the pros. Ooh, wow, did you see the move that this guy made? I didn't see a lot of that, but again, like this is week one of the regular season. You could argue it's almost week one of the preseason for some of these guys, I even mean, though they had some some practice games beforehand. So I've heard they've I only got like, to get better. Yeah, I was going to say they've only had like less than thirty days to practice with with each other. They kept pounding right. that home on the broadcast too. Like that right. was kind of a big thing for them. And yeah, some of like. The line is signed to try to defend Mike Bercovici for for San Diego it was not he was not all. Oh my god, they were not on the same page. On the flip side, though, like there are some guys I will stand for to get to the NFL, and we'll talk about them here in a second because I know some Lions fans are probably looking at this league like, "Hey, are there any guys we could probably swipe from here after a while?" And I think, you know, give it give it like three, four, five weeks. I think probably there will be some guys who start to emerge once he gets some consistency. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and kind of the cool part about their contracts, uh, I think they're three year, $250,000 contracts, which aren't, which aren't great, but I think they're about CFL level or maybe even a little bit better, but there's a clause in there, like quick outs. Like if you get called up to a practice squad or if you get called to sign to a futures contract, you can go immediately. And a, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that this year. It's amazing how it's taken this long for football to have a proper feeder system. And it's even more of a shame that it had to come from an independent body and not from the NFL, like clearly not showing that they are not the ones who care about the state of making a better professional sport. Uh, that yeah, said, I, I think, think, yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, um, I think part of the problem there, because that point's been brought up a lot on Twitter and among conversations um, I think a big part of the problem was that we always had the CFL and people said, oh, the NFL needs a development league and people would point to the CFL, even though that's not what it served as. And a good comparison that one of my friends made yesterday was um, the CFL is just a different game. Like CFL football compared to NFL football is like indoor soccer compared to outdoor soccer. Yeah, it's the same sport, but it's not the same game. And so it doesn't translate well. And I think this is really good that they're, for the large part, um, for the most part, keeping the same rules and the same regulatory standards as the NFL. And I think that'll go a long way to making it more of a developmental league than the CFL was. Yeah. And I mean, people, people talk about arena football league that same way too, Hams. And you're absolutely, that's even more pointed there. The, the arena league is not the same as, as like NFL football. And there really hasn't been anything like this since NFL Europe kind of inadvertently, I think started as a marketing tool and inadvertently became a de- developmental league. And some of those alumni always talk about how good it was for their guys. But it's also a great laboratory for innovation, as we've been talking about. I think my favorite one there still has to be the Sky Judge. Mm-hmm. Um, not only just the Sky gu- Judge, but how many people were mic'd up. Yes. Now, this did have yes. a downside because half of the San Antonio broadcast had to be muted because someone was cussing a storm up on the <laughs> yeah. sidelines. Which, what I mean, did you think? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of goes into the whole thing where it's like, God, this is such a smart idea, but they need to like they needed this trial run really badly because there were yeah. a lot of bumps and bruises. But I have always been a huge proponent of on-field audio. Give me as much as possible. The thing that was so striking and and interesting to see was they were doing the audio live, so we were hearing mm-hmm. coaches live. We were saying Spurrier tell his quarterback to tell his wide receiver to catch it this time. We were seeing <laughs> catch it uh, this time. <laughs> yeah, we were seeing refs. Make, well, obviously, you see refs make call in real time, but the 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 uh, replay judge seeing the transparency them go, on that, yes, that is so cool. And the NFL is never going to do that because if they make a mistake, it's there for everyone to see, and they don't want that. They want everything behind closed doors, and they want you know if they make a bad call after review, they want the only voice of of the refs to be you know a, a statement after the game. That's what they want. They don't want you to hear all this other stuff because if they get something wrong there, it's going to look really embarrassing. But so far, so good on all that. Like hearing the the quarterback make the play and then the announcer explain what the play was and then see the play actually play out all in real time was super cool. And I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, it's it's it feels like more authentic football. I saw some people kind of comparing it to kind of like a mid-range College game. I think one person, I think Mansour, yeah, Mansour said that uh, he, it reminded him of high school football. And football doesn't yeah, need to be. High school to it. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, football doesn't need to be NFL level good when it comes to the quality of the players. You can have kind of sloppy games like we've had, but as long as it's not taking forever to play out, 
as long as you have the proper, like kind of the proper immersion to it, 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 just, it just works. Football's always worked this way for a lot of people for a very long time. It's not just the NFL on top of everything else. And I think the AAF was very good at reminding us of that, that football, when it is authentic, it feels really good. And I think the thing that I see a lot of people is, again, they're looking at this league and just wishing the NFL, you could get the best of that with the best of the NFL, which is obviously the quality of the players and combine that to something else. But there is that sinking dread that, as always, the NFL is probably going to remain resistant to it. Yeah, and and kind of going back to it being a farm league and and mixing in with your talking about the authenticity of it. The question I have is just how viable it is uh, monetarily, right? Because I do think the NFL is is already starting to accept this as a farm league. It was really interesting hearing Bill Polian, you know, who's kind of the co-founder of the AAF, say like, "Yeah, I in five years I hope that we're a farm league, not only for the players." And this is what I thought was really interesting. He said for the coaches and particularly minority coaches. He would love to see them kind of work their way up that way since, you know, everything else hasn't been working. College hasn't been working. If maybe they work their way through through the AAF, they can get some sort of traction in, in the NFL. And so I think they're, they're ready to assume that, but will the league be able to survive that long? That's the question. Will that authenticity be enough to, to pull in the ratings? Will it be enough to pull in attendance? Because the games did not look very attended uh, this weekend. and. I, I just don't know about that. I it pulled in what like a two point one rating, which you know they were making a big deal. It 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 out uh it was out view or it outviewed some primetime NBA game, which which is good. But you know, opening week is always going to be the biggest week. So I'm I'm still a little skeptical whether this is going to be long term viable. But I'm I'm happy with what I've seen so far. Yeah, yeah and I, I think, think oh, gone. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think uh, with regards to that, you're definitely right that opening week will get the most viewers in terms of TV and stuff. But I think long term, this will definitely it has room to go up. And that's because this is something new. A lot of people didn't know what to make of it. You saw Twitter last night was um, just a whole reactionary feed. Oh, people's thoughts on this, their reactions, what they think is going to unfold as a result. And I think that once it's more established and also once people have allegiances, you see people even today on Twitter <laughs> declaring their allegiances with more games kicking off right now. Um, once people have their allegiances and it's established what this is and what kind of product you expect, I think people will be a lot more invested and there will be more room for, for new fans to join. And so I do think it will um, have potential, maybe not in terms of in-person attendance, but I think, I mean, it's football after February. And I think that definitely is a marketable thing where it has room to grow. It is. I, I think it is as much as I, it's going to be hard to compete against the NBA's at, at some points, but I think the NBA really struggles to take off until the playoffs, especially in its modern sure. uh, incarnation. There is a gap left with, and I'm sorry, folks, like not a lot of the country enjoys the NHL. It's very much so. Notice how all these teams are localized in the South and the Western states, too. And I mean, half of that's because you kind of have to due to the weather you're playing in February and March and April. But at the same time, it's it's also those aren't states that are exact necessarily served by, say, a hockey team. So they're kind of after basketball. They're looking for that second that second team. You know, these spring spring winter sports always kind of have room for kind of a second league sometimes, especially in this kind of gap before baseball even kicks off as well. Uh, for me, when it comes down to it, too, I, I think at some point there is going to probably have to be some in sort of investment into this from the rest of football to make sure that it, it it succeeds. But I think it's more important than just putting people in the seats. And I mean, yeah, it's going to look weird on some broadcasts. They had to do the Alamo Dome. The other game uh, was that in UC. I think it was in UCF Stadium, which yeah, I mean, yeah. UCF is a huge, huge school, so, and I think their stadium holds. Uh, it's it's a pretty big stadium from what I remember. Uh, I'm just looking it up right now. I want to see what their yeah Spectrum Stadium their max. Okay, it's it's actually not too big. It's like fifty thousand. It's about forty five thousand uh, full that's, attendance. That's still pretty big. It's not it's yeah. not bad, but I, I th- yeah I, think- I mean like the Alamo Dome and I mean what what is this game right now on is they're going to be playing in Legion Field, which is decrepit and ancient and awful. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm more, I'm more concerned about 
the games in San Diego, there's going to be played in the old Qualcomm Stadium or whatever it's called now. Right. Like that monster. But I don't think that's going to matter in the long run. Like, I think the thing that might hamper it more than anything is probably these split days. I think the league probably has to go to full on Saturday because Sunday programming is really hard to compete against. And then it, it needs to figure out where it wants to be broadcast. Like too many, it has too many players right now. Like when it, when it comes to TV broadcast, it was nice and centralized on Saturday with CBS, but I was looking next week and like one of them is going to be on NFL network. One, yeah, one tonight's one, on NFL network too. Yeah. yeah next week is going to be on like TNT and some other uh, locations too. Like we need to kind of, someone needs to hopefully centralize who's broadcasting this. Yeah. And I think those are all, realistic long-term goals this is i mean obviously they're just kind of trying everything out they they didn't know if this was going to catch on i think the first night was almost universally praised i didn't see a lot of people complaining about it at all and, uh, and so, that will work every time that word of mouth will work yeah it will absolutely especially for like you said kind of this the sports fan base that is just kind of in purgatory right now wondering what they're going to watch and and they're not quite invested in the nba yet because it's not playoff time like you said, you know, spring training is still a month away and, and the NHL isn't doing much of anything right now. So the market is there. They just need Twitter to be explosive like it really was. And, and I have to say, the AAF got handed a, a gem five minutes into the game last night when the helmet-popping sack happened because that is like Chan Williams, huge Chan Washington. Sean Washington, yep, yep. Was there, I mean, could you... Former Aggie. Talk about like a fan base who... A, a, a group of sports fans who've just been waiting for something like that. I'm not going to sit here and say that sort of stuff will never have in the, happen in the NFL. It does. I don't think that would have been a penalty in the NFL. A lot of people say, eh, it would have, it would have, blah, blah, blah. They let them hit in this league. Like, no, that's not what's happening. But it does show you these guys are trying. Like, this is real football. Like, this is, this is exciting stuff. We're going to have highlights on Saturday and Sundays again. And it was just like a perfect intro to this league that, like, it got everyone's attention. I don't think a lot of people were watching at the time, but once they saw that clip, I bet the ratings spiked. Real quick, we've got five minutes left here. We went really long on this, but I want to get—I wanted to get to guys that either impressed you, you guys that you want to keep an eye on going forward. Because I mean, obviously, as NFL fans, we're probably looking at this. That, that was fascinating to me too. Like you have NFL fans trying to look for guys who are hidden gems or guys you used to know on, on teams. Some college fans are in. And again, there are some co- people who watch football who hate the NFL. They just hate the NFL for various reasons, one reason or another. And they were watching for guys they haven't seen in a while. Like for me, as a university, you know, I follow University of Toledo football. Logan Woodside, starting quarterback for San Antonio. That was really cool. That was really, really cool. Uh, some big names I saw last night. Uh, I've got four here. Uh, I'll start you with Gavin Escobar. He's a He's a... Tight end. I think he used to play for the Cowboys. For um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was drafted by Dallas. He out originally out of San Diego State. Stuck around the league for like you know three, four years or so. Kind of fell out. Um, he looked pretty good in the league. Like that kind of experience shows, and maybe he'll get another chance to come back in. Uh, for San Antonio, Greg Ward had himself a night. He's got good chemistry already with Logan Woodside. Uh, with Logan Woodside. Be curious to see that how he can maybe kind of make himself a name. I'm trying to remember because he's yeah he was with the Eagles drafted in 2017, but fell out of the league pretty quickly. And I just think in that case, when it comes to the Eagles, he just didn't have a space for him. Uh, on the defensive side, Terrence Garvin is definitely someone to watch out for. Uh, again, had has about like five years of NFL experience. But definitely, who's he playing for again? He was on the Apollos last night. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then speaking of former Lions, Dantes Ford was uh, surprisingly, I saw his name come up a couple times. Yeah. It, it, to me, like, this is why the AAF is hard to, for me to, like, fully invest right now is just because I don't know the players that well. And I'm not sure the, the easiest way to, to bridge that gap. I mean, one way would be fantasy football, which I think they're, they're kind of far away from. And I'm not sure anyone's quite ready to, to commit to that, but, <laughs> but one quick way is, is former lions. And so I, I definitely was keeping an eye on Dantes Ford and he made a couple really good catches one on a very, very good route as well. Um, I'm not sure if, if he's anywhere near ready of, of joining a training camp or anything again, but um, that's, that's my one in. And unfortunately that one in 
is with the San Diego fleet, and they were horrible on Saturday. So, I mean, mostly uh, their offensive line was horrible. Their defense yeah. played decently enough against. I, I think Logan Woodside is going to be mm-hmm. interesting to keep an eye on. Sure, but because he never he never got a chance in, in the NFL, from what I remember. Yeah. So just that that'll be interesting there. But like, yeah, no, the fleets mostly in the offensive line. I don't think anyone for the fleets tackles are getting getting any looks. That's for sure. What about you, Hamza? Was there anyone who stood out for you? Yeah, definitely. I was actually going to mention Terrence Garvin, who you brought up already. Um, I know, I mean, guys who stood out, really, he's about it. I, again, don't know people really well by name. Garrett Gilbert definitely um, not didn't have the best performance, but padded his numbers enough that, I mean, he was better than the, the crapshoot of QB performances that we've seen so far. Hasn't been very pretty. Um, definitely one guy who I want to watch. Um, actually, the reason why I mentioned earlier, I started being an Apollos fan as Ben Turk, their punter. He was at Notre Dame, absolutely has a cannon for a leg. Um, Great at getting hang time, not so much distance. Um, But he was out of football for quite a while. His uncle's like a Hall of Fame punter or something like that. And he started working a desk job, and then he got a call about the AAF. So that was his route back into football. And he hadn't punted in two, three years, but he'd gotten even stronger. So now he's back at that. And a lot of these guys are, you know, former NFL guys. Like Brad Wing, I believe he's on the Memphis Express. Um, he was with the Giants for a while. Ryan Anderson was with Patriots for a little bit a couple years ago, and he's on the Birmingham Iron. But Ben Turk, I don't think even got his shot in the NFL, and so I'm really excited to see what he can do now that he's even stronger and you know getting back to football. And a uh, big fan of his. But yeah, sorry for uh, interjecting with punters. I know most people aren't that interested in them. <laughs> like I am, well, I was about to <laughs> say there is a, there is another former Lions punter about to go on. I think there's like about eight nine former Lions going to be playing on Sunday night here between the Arizona Hotshots and the Salt Lake Stallions. You know, you got Jeff Locke up there. Mm, there you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, Pierce Burton is going to be playing. I think Salt Lake has Matt Asiata, who, I mean, I guess we can call him a former Lion. <laughs> brief. Very briefly. I have, I have to say my ears perked up when you said Brad Wing because I'm, now I'm wondering if, if Jamal Agnew literally like sent him on a one-way ticket to the AAF <laughs> when he juked the hell out of him a couple of Monday night, a couple of years ago on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Poor guy. Like, yikes. It'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be even more interesting to see what happens with this league like after the roster cuts in in August, at the end of August for the NFL. I'll be curious to see how many of those guys try to go to, directly to the AAF to see if they can compete to jump right back in. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. It's it's definitely a new model because every other league that's kind of cropped up to be a second league before and before this hasn't really tried tried to be the feeder league, right? right. It, it like even the USFL was like, here we're going to throw a bank at Herschel Walker just to try to pry eyes away from the NFL. Or it was the UFL who's like, hey, the lockout's going to continue for a year. Let's try to get people to pay attention to us. Or it was the XFL, which was, I mean, this this new XFL is kind of dead on de- dead on arrival, isn't it? If the AAF keeps up. <laughs> I mean, I don't like who wants to play in the in the XFL now because I feel like I mean I feel like the AF already has like the hey we're we're going to coach you up to the NFL like that's their identity already and they're only two games into the season exactly yeah. and I think the AAF takes a big leg up here by really establishing themselves in the um, oh you don't have football here's something to watch for the next couple months market um, so it's going to be hard for the XFL to come from behind and try to steal that because I mean like. We saw already, I've already declared my allegiance. A lot of the guys on our staff here have already declared their allegiance to teams. You don't really want to invest yourself in an XFL team as well at this point when you're trying to learn what you've got going on here. Yeah, we'll see. They've got another year to kind of figure it out, and we've got a year to figure out what goes on with the AAF. We're going to keep up with the AAF season, I think, as the offseason goes on. But we're going to take a quick break here. We've done about 30 minutes on this. We're going to take a break, regroup, come back, talk a little bit about Detroit Lions impending free agency. We're starting on the offense this week and we'll talk through that and then get to the mailbag. Stick around. Pride of Detroit POD cast continues after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pride of Detroit, P-O-D-Cast, Pride of Detroit.com. Uh, I don't have special music for this. Let me try to make it. Hack and watch update. Our re- semi-recurring segment for some godforsaken reason where we keep up with the occurrences of one Christian Hackenberg. The most I, I like phenomenally curious cr- football career of Christian Hackenberg. He is in the AAF. He is currently at halftime. Three for 11 for 20 yards and an interception. Start Zach Mettenberger already. <laughs> I can't believe Zach Mettenberger. Like, I don't know how, if you're a Zach Mettenberger, you're there and you're just like, damn, I got beat. I got beat for the starting job by Christian Hackenberg. I, it's, it's, a, it's a low time for him. Heart, yeah, my heart's I, out to his family. Honestly, I think I think Zach is more skilled than Christian Hackenberg, but we, we're going to keep up hack and watch. That's for sure. For, for sure. no godforsaken reason. I don't know why we're even why why did we start doing this? Just because it's fascinating. Like everyone knew this guy everyone, was bad and, and he got drafted to, so high. Everyone except for <laughs> except for a certain Raiders coach. Well, uh, you say you say that for, except for a certain Raiders coach, but at the same time, like so many guys have been going to bat for Christian Hackenberg over the years. Even before this AAF game kicked off, people were like, Oh, he's fixed his mechanics here in the in the Alliance. <laughs> He's fixed them. It, it's got to be like the same breed of people that really thought Kellen Moore was going to finally like figure it out. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just, there's a certain guy that these people, I don't know. Maybe he just has the best like marketing agency in the world that is beck and call. I don't understand it. It's truly amazing. Breathtaking. It's marvelous. All right. We should talk about Lions free agency. Bring it back. I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. Free agency is coming up in about a month. Everyone wants to focus on the draft. We want to get this free agency stuff out of the way so we can start talking draft and get better clicks because that's what moves the needle. <laughs> but free agency, help. free agency helps too. I don't know why it's always like dra- draft over free agency. I don't, I've just stopped questioning it. Well, yeah, so that, many years. that's the thing. Like I can never get that involved in draft talk this early. And I know love, a lot of people love it and a lot of people do it year round, but like we don't know what the Detroit Lions needs are going to be for the draft because free agency hasn't happened yet. So let's like compartmentalize. Free agency, you're just getting old guys, man. You're not getting the future. You're not getting the future. You're getting leftovers and lazy guys who want contracts, who want to get paid. <laughs> But let, well, let, well, let's, yeah. let's start the conversation with the Lions free agents, the guys that either are staying or going. And on offense, there's some interesting names, some guys that might be back, but not a ton because we saw how bad uh, the Lions offense was last year, especially when they got to some of these depth guys. Um, where do you guys want to start? There's You want to start with backup quarterback? Is that where you want to uh, start? I just want to start by interjecting, saying that I think we might actually see a lot more turnover on the offensive side of the ball than normal this year with Daryl Bevel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be a pretty different look from Jim Bob Cooter's system, and with a new system comes new personnel, just like we saw with Matt Patricia last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if guys who even are fits just don't stick around because Daryl Bevel wants his guy. All right, well then, yeah, okay, let's start. So Daryl Bevel you know, has been branded as the running game guy. Let's talk about Zach Zenner. Guy well, finishes uh, the year pretty impressively. Five straight performances. I think he had four point two carries or more. No. Uh, hit <laughs> you're, girl by girl by. Yeah, I was a loud proponent, especially after the Green Bay game. That um, while I admire Zach Zenner's comeback story, he was running for over four yards per carry behind holes that you could drive a bus through. So mm-hmm. I think um, <laughs> he or. Uh, Tion Green or Joyke Bell also would have gotten four yards per carry on that. Um, and I don't think it's all that special. Now, do I think he has a place on the roster? Absolutely. Do I see him getting crowding out, getting crowded out come next season? I could definitely see that, especially with Nick Bodden coming back. I mean, he was 
Um, Zach Zenner was halfway a fullback half the time because of his size. Um, and it was uh, with Nick Bodden coming back with Theo Riddick and Carrion Johnson, I could see them signing a free agent. I really think if they sign a number two guy, then Zach Zenner is going to be shown the door. But as of right now, I really don't trust him to come into a running back two role. He's a guy who will find his holes and get there. Maybe not the fastest, but it's, that's the, that's the thing. It's if he's not getting there fast enough, you saw a lot of those holes closed. I don't trust him as a running back too. And that's no knock on him. It's just, he's a smart guy without the physical ability to really step into a reliable running back two role. Well, let's start with uh, running backs then. And let's just say right off the bat, I do not see Adrian Peterson gracing this team at all. I don't either. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. You, I'm good. You don't, you don't want to, you don't see him saying, Oh, Daryl Bevel, the guy who was kind of helped orchestrate my biggest year ever. Let's no. Let's reunite with him. No, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good without a guy who beats his kids. Okay, uh, so let's you, see. Wait, what else wait, we just, got here? Just to be clear, you're saying you don't want him, not that he doesn't want us. I don't. I, I, I'm saying the Lions can do better, too. I just okay, don't feel that, like doing the analysis other than the fact that he beats his kids. Just really um, quickly. By the way, by the way I'm, say just saying, I'm just saying, like, yeah, go on. Just he was ten for twelve in third and short situations. I'm I'm not I'm not going to address the moral stuff because everyone already we feels should. the way they do about it. It should be it should be notified. It should be noted. Yeah. But I'm just saying, let's let's do someone more fun because we want to talk about Daryl. We want to talk about guys with connections to Daryl Bevel. I'm just saying, Marshawn Lynch is on the market. Oh, you want to no, throw no. you want to throw money you want to throw a lot of money at an old guy there? Like go go right there. Marshawn's right there. No, so much I'm not cool. a fan of that. I no, I'm not not guy. either. <laughs> the guy I really have my eye on, Jeremy and I were talking about this before before you got here, um, is TJ Yeldon. I'm a big fan of his work. I think he was very underutilized and mm. uh, improperly utilized in the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. And I think he his receiving abilities and you know uh, bounciness is going to be a great fit for, um, I'd say more for like Matthew Stafford as a compliment than for Daryl Bevel's offense. I don't know necessarily how I feel about that. But I think that... If, if this were the 2017 or 2018 Lions offense, I would love, absolutely love for TJ Eldon to get paid to come here. I don't know exactly how I feel about it right now because I don't know what to expect from the running game with Daryl Bevel. Um, I know he has a very vertical passing game, so checkdowns and things of that nature aren't going to be ideal. So I, I think it doesn't really help his stock with the Lions. But um, prior to Daryl Bevel being announced, I was a big proponent of uh, TJ Eldon coming to the Lions. He's my guy to watch. I know, I think Ryan had talked about Spencer Ware on a previous podcast. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but kind of in that same, kind of in that same age range. I, I mean, I, I like I Yeldon a lot. But coming God. here, but I'm just not a big fan of it. Yeah, I just, Fair enough. I'm not a fan of Spencer Ware himself. And, and I, yeah, the, the, the last guy that I think maybe uh, deserves to be talked about, and it's a guy that a lot of, I see a lot of Lions fans talk about is Mark Ingram coming from the saints. Um, mm-hmm. He's also kind of hitting that he's 29. So he's going to be hitting that 30 wall pretty soon, but guys average over four or five, a carry four straight years um, should come fairly cheap. The, the Saints signed him to a four year, $16 million contract last time when they, when they extended him from his rookie deal. So he's not going to break the bank. Um, he's kind of also in a way, kind of the, the bigger back, you know, more compact back. He's not tall. He's five, nine, but two fifteen. So uh, could potentially kind of be the short yardage back has kind of made a career out of being a change of a uh, pace back um, from Elvin Kamara, obviously. So uh, I, I think that makes sense in some ways. You might see Bilal Powell kind of in that, in that category too, kind of about the same age, same height and everything averaged about, I think so far in his career, like 4.4 yards per attempt career wise, uh, pretty decent through the air to live, excuse me, through the air too. Might be something, someone interesting to keep there. I don't know if he's going to be more expensive or less expensive than Mark Ingram. That's for sure. I the think thing is, like, Powell, oh, <laughs> I think he's pretty sure. Okay, I, I think he'd come a little bit cheaper than uh, Mark Ingram would. And yeah. this is another thing Jeremy and I were talking about before is Mark Ingram, I think, while on paper his abilities fit really well with the Lions, and I think even more so with Daryl Bevel's offense, I don't think he's going to leave New Orleans. He's very much a fit for that system and their scheme. And he has a clear-cut role there that I don't think translates very well to other offenses, and I don't think he would get as many – carries or opportunities that well, just like quality opportunities and quality runs with other teams as he would in new Orleans. And so I don't see him leaving. I think it's a mutually beneficial thing for new Orleans to bring him back, but Bilal Powell, I definitely could see, I think he's much more cut out to fit the, the new Lions offense that I could definitely see that happening. I hope it happens. 
All right, we should move on and talk about the kind of the line and areas around the line, which, I mean, the big question, as always, is going to be about TJ. TJ, excuse me, I can't speak here. Lang. It's about Lang. And, I mean, whether or not he's back, that's a, that's a good question. And if he's not back, what do you do in his place? Well, here's the thing. I don't think he's gone. I, I okay. don't think you can bring him back on the contract that he has. I think that's, that's way too risky on the Lions part. But the more and more I listened to this guy throughout the season, the more and more it sounded like he wasn't done yet, especially at that end of year press conference. It sounded like he wanted to keep playing, and I don't think the guy wants to play anywhere else. He, he's from Michigan. He lives in Michigan. He wants to be there. Um, I, I think he'd take a, a restructure or, or a new contract or whatever. And so I think he's back. But you still obviously need some sort of uh, contingency plan. And, and whether that's moving Tyler Crosby to guard, I don't think that's in the, in the cards. But um, that's one option. Another option is just to simply, you know, pluck one from free agency. But the problem here is that, you know, I, I did a rundown of this at the top of the year. Free agent options for guard are few and far between. When you have a good offensive lineman, you don't let him go. That just doesn't happen in, in the NFL very mm-hmm. often because it's such a, a, a rare commodity and you want to keep your chemistry together as long as possible. So the guys you're, you're looking at are guys like Mike Ayupati. Great history, but dude is, what, 32 years old. Roger Saffold. I actually think Saffold might have already signed, re-signed with the Rams since then. Either way, not a guy that's likely to hit free agency. Even if he is, he's also over 30. DJ Fluker, Quentin Spain. Like You're, you're talking about a lot of these old guys. Spain is one of the younger ones, but he's still 27 and, you know, kind of had an up and down career. So your choices are often injured old guys who at least used to be good or kind of so-so guys that are still kind of up in their 27, 28 year old. And I just don't see anything. So for me, can I, yeah, I just, I just don't see anything good in this guard market to, to warn anything other than like, Hey, let's just try to get TJ Lang back. Maybe draft a guy this year in the third or fourth round. And go from there. All right. Uh, can I throw you a plan C? Like, yes, no, real quick. Don't need your explanation because we're really pressed on time and need to get to tight ends. You mentioned moving ter- uh, Crosby over. Would you do that? And this is a plan C, mind you. Crap's not gone right. You move Terrell Crosby, or however you say his name, over to, <laughs> to guard. Right tackle, Get go back and just bring back Larry Adrian Waddle. No, there's... No problem at right tackle. Like, I don't know why people have a problem with our right tackle. Right tackle's fine. We're, okay. we're good. Okay. All right. Then, tight end. What do you want to do here? Because it's a mess. Can we, can we talk a little bit about Luke Wilson? Go ahead. Draft tight end at eight. <laughs> Are you actually in that camp? We have some mailbag questions well, in that. Save this. Save this. Save this talk. Save this talk. We've got it in the mailbag. We've got it in the mailbag. All right. All right, let me just ask you guys, given Daryl Bevel is now the offensive coordinator, is the chance that Luke Wilson return any higher than 35%? What was it originally before we had Daryl Bevel? 2%. Uh, no, I think it's 1% then. I don't think he, I don't think <laughs> Daryl Bevel here um, makes his likelihood higher. I think it makes it lower. If you look at the oh. stats, um, Eric Schlitt made a good point of this. Uh, he, I think, was the had the least receiving yards of any tight end in a season under um, Daryl Bevel in Seattle, and he very much was not capable of taking over the lead tight end role. I think maybe I could see Daryl Bevel using him in a number two role, um, yeah. maybe, but I just don't think the Lions trust him enough after last year. He just didn't seem serviceable. Even when Levine Toilolo stepped up, he just couldn't really find his role, and so I could see him I view him right now as having one foot out the door, and I think he's going to have to do a lot to get that foot back in. But, but to me, his his greatest value has always been his run blocking, and I think a lot of Lions fans fantasize that maybe he could eventually blow up to be, you know, whatever, Eric Ebron, Jimmy Graham, whatever you want. That was always unrealistic. If you looked at the way Seattle used him a lot, they used him as a fullback a lot. They used him as an inline tight end a lot. Yeah, his his receiving numbers were down but i i just don't think that's where cl thought he was special and and i'm not saying he's a special run blocker but he's certainly better at doing that than anything else 
there any other names out there though? I, like, I just and, wanna, don't before, don't look inside. I want someone from the outside. People want fresh names. Before we jump to another name, I should, I just want to say to counter that. Um, I don't think at that point, if you're bringing him back primarily as a run blocker, even as tight end two, he's going to be worth your money. I'd say with as many draft picks as the Lions have now, it'd be quite easy to snag a guy in the later rounds who will be just as good at run blocking, if not better, um, at a much cheaper price. Ten seconds before we have to go to commercial. Anyone, any name, anywhere. Uh, Jared Cook? 32-year-old Jared Cook? I don't know. God, this sucks. We will be right back here on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. The mailbag is coming up. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time, hashtag AskPOD. As always, I do not mean to cut off our tight end talk, but honestly, we've gone pretty well long. We got to give the people what they want in the mailbag, and we've got plenty of tight end questions. We'll get back to Hamza and your depraved talk of the draft. Your sick, filthy talk of the draft. It's coming up here in the mailbag. Uh, are there any notes here we need to get to before the mailbag? No? Okay, good. Let's dive right in. Let's give Hamza what he wanted with... <laughs> I, I can't even. Yeah, okay. From Resilience Lions fan, Resilient Lions fan is asking you, guys, I'd like to create momentum for Leos to trade a five or six for Tyler Higby. I honestly think he's got Kelsey-level talent. Higby for a five or draft a rook at two or three. This regime doesn't have time for a tight end to develop. I think they have a very good point, but um, I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like even if uh, um, the way the numbers have played out under Daryl Bevel, tight end usually gets a target share just behind wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and ahead of wide receiver three. And for me, I think tight end becomes valuable there, but I don't think it becomes a necessarily a guy you need like an elite performer at. I think you need a top tier, like, you know, Brandon Prediger in his prime years, maybe Eric Ebron type guy, but it, Again, that's not like top five. It'd be a little bit further out of there. I think Tyler Higby does fit that role, and I think that'd be a pretty good proposal. I don't know where he stands medically, but I like Tyler Higby. He's with the Rams, right? Uh, I believe yes. so. Yes, he yeah, is. yeah. Okay, yeah. I like his role from what I've seen. Um, I'm thinking of the right guy then. Uh, and he's obviously like down in target share because of all the weapons they have on that offense. And so I think that he could definitely have an expanded role, much like it'd be like how when we brought Golden Tate, how his role expanded. I think we could do the same thing with Tyler Higby. And I think a fifth rounder is not a bad ask for that, especially considering what we have in the draft right now. And you compare that to who you could get in the fifth round there. And I think that's a very reasonable proposal. I'm actually very much on board on that. The more, the more that I think about it now, in terms of what I was teasing earlier, I should note that I'm not necessarily sold on taking a tight end at eight. I'm saying that more to aggravate people, but um, I don't think it's outrageous. Like everyone thinks tight end at eight does not mean you're drafting Eric Ebron all over again. Uh, it means, and, and likewise, like I said earlier, the tight end gets target share behind wide receivers one and two. And while that's not necessarily necessity, you could flip that around. I mean, your tight end, you saw how Eric Ebron was used after Anquan Bolden left. He was more of a wide receiver half the time. Uh, saw a lot of time in the slot and out wide. And um, the Lions really took advantage of that. And if they can do that again, I could see a tight end hitting wide receiver two share numbers. And in that case, I think it would be a good idea to draft tight end high. Now, obviously, this is a very deep class. You could get a guy like Irv Smith Jr. in the second, who I'm a huge fan of, but I think would be great in the second. And I'd be much more comfortable with the Lions taking one in second or third. But I just want to push the narrative that it's not as outrageous as everyone thinks to take one at number eight and don't cross it off your list. Okay. <laughs> Said it all, man. I got nothing else to say. To Alliance Football Overload, who asked us, is Hack and Watch will continue this week? Yes, it has. You're good. All (laughs) right. Next question. This is a bit of an older one, but I like taking some of the old ones we miss because sometimes we get out the mailbag and then immediately panic and turn around and start trying to podcast. So Kevin Cheeseborough last week asking us, 
Julian Edelman is probably Hall of Fame worthy, but is Wes Welker worthy enough? Did he get the names mixed up? Because Wes Welker is a Hall of Famer. I don't think Julian Edelman. Yeah, just because Julian Edelman's kind of ridden these coattails to history and has a ton of rings does not make him a good, like, a Hall of Fame player. He had a a good game. He had a good game. I'll give him that in the Super Bowl. He had a good game. That's it. I think this whole season is a little bit marred by the fact that he's no longer Julian Edelman, but Julian Pedelman. Uh, for anyone who doesn't get the joke, he was suspended for PEDs. Um, but yeah, I think um, that doesn't necessarily help his case. And I think you look at the kind of weapons they have on that offense and the fact that he's under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and doesn't necessarily help his case. And I don't think he's anywhere near done enough to uh, – uh, to make it even into discussion for the Hall of Fame. And if we're talking sheer numbers, someone on Twitter pointed out that Dwayne Bowe has better career numbers than Julian Edelman. So no, he's not going into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Nick Schram asking us, is it a known fact that spaghetti is the worst form of pasta to eat due to its no, sloppiness false. and lack of surface and that penne reigns, reigns superior? I will give you that I, penne. Yeah, go on. I'll let you get in. Yeah, I'd agree with you that penne is probably superior, but pasta is or spaghetti is far from the worst pasta. You want to utilize your pasta depending on the dish that you are making. The problem is, is that people take out spaghetti and then just try to do like bolognese or they try to do like a red sauce with with meatballs or something. But that's the problem. That's not what you use spaghetti for. You want to use it for something like a Roma dish, like something like a cacio e pepe. You want to do it with like you know. Spaghetti's strength is that it will hold like something like a flake, like shredded or uh, grated cheese onto it, and pepper, and you know garlic, uh, garlic things, things of that nature. Like that's what you want to use spaghetti for. It's not a sauce. If you're if you're gonna go with a sauce heavy dish, then yeah, go for something like a macaroni. Go for a penne. Go for. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other names off the top of my head right now. <laughs> Don't go bow tie because bow tie is the worst. No, bow ties are awful. Bow what are you talking about? That's what I said. Bow yeah, ties are the worst. Yeah. Like, and plus, I I can never cook bow tie where it's like the same. Uh, I, I was going to say al dentiness because I don't know the al word dente. for it. Al dente, yes. But like, it doesn't have the same texture throughout the entire thing because like the middle part is always a little bit more chewy than the outside part, and I don't like that. No, Bowtie you want you want some traditional styles. You want like rigatoni. You want some rotini. You want some fusilli. That. That was the word I was trying to think of was fusilli. You, you are something- so belchy yeah. today. I'm sorry. Is it, I'm, I is it just the I Italian food talk? I did make I did make uh, vodka sauce last night, and that there might be it. It's it's getting back to me. I made some vodka. <laughs> I, I made to my point penne alla vodka with uh, hot Italian sausage. So. Yeah, to me, spaghetti is the Andy Dalton of pastas. And when you put a game manager in an air raid offense, it's not going to work. That's I'll leave it at that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Impressive. I don't think it's that bit like spaghetti is. Yeah, it's it's you use it for certain things. You want to use it when it's not too dressed up like spaghetti with with like, you know, clams or whatever. Just do do that. Just don't people people make this mistake of like trying to load up spaghetti and it doesn't work yeah don't send spaghetti to the pro bowl it doesn't deserve it it, it deserves it it just needs its own style all right thank you i wanted my my food question here and this is like the one we got so let's see what else do we have here we've got a lot of questions about trading up and trading down um no let's just trade up it. what let's let's talk let's talk about trading up then Kyler Kregel asking us, would you trade up for Nick Bosa? Think they no. would do it. What would it cost? Oh, way too much. No. A move from eight to one is, is so much more than you think it is. It probably not, costs like, the Lions almost the rest of their draft class. Like it would cost, yeah. next, it would cost next year's one, probably this year's two, and that's already too much. I'd say it, it would cost at least two ones and a two. I mean, you look at what when Washington traded up for RG3, they went from six to two or something of that nature, and they gave up, I believe it was three first rounders and at least another second round or something like that. So, no, it's not worth it. Okay. Alex Siegel asking us I have been reading hype on Ed Oliver to Detroit and him switching to defensive end. What are your thoughts? 
I am not as high as on Ed Oliver as some people are, and not because of the jacket incident, not because of you know work ethic problems. I think he works perfectly hard. My thing is, um, I forget who pointed it out. It may have been Alex Reno. It may have been someone else, but someone pointed out that he has all the physical tools. There's no doubt about that. He'll probably grade out as one of the most, most athletic um, defensive linemen at the combine. Um, and the only problem is if you look at the tape, he goes the last couple of years with all these physical tools, but doesn't show any real commitment to developing his pass rushing moves and things of that nature. It relies too much on his athleticism, almost to the point where it's a crutch and there's no really um, commitment to improving as a pure pass rusher rather than just as an athlete. And that concerns me because that's coachability problems. Um, we were talking in the um, Slack room today and I made the joke about, can we get someone with Ed Oliver's body and Brian Burns's coachability? So, I mean, I understand his fit with the lions. I think if you, if the lions were to take him, I'd much rather they trade down to like the 14 to 16 range before taking him. I don't think he's worth it at number eight. I'll leave it at that. To me with, with Ed Oliver, I just, I don't really see the fit. Like, I think he's going to be a really talented guy. I I'm pretty high on him. I think he's a top 10 talent, um, but he's not really what the lines look for an interior defender. And, and to answer the, the the question posed, no, I don't think the lines would move him to edge. Honestly, I don't think um, it, that fits his, his game. Well, I think he's just kind of that quick pass rushing defensive tackle. And that's not really what the lions want. They want a guy who can control the line of scrimmage with their hands and kind of keep their eyes in the backfield and not necessarily rush the passer, but just maintain control of the, of the line like they do with snacks, like they do with Sean Robinson and, and like they do with a uh, Deshaun hand a little bit. So I, I, I like the guy a lot. I just don't think he's what the Lions are looking for. All right. We've got rumor time, rumor talk time, Jeremy's favorite time. And he's about to give you a stern lecture on this one. I am sure. We have a quote here from Reggie Bush, formerly of the Detroit Lions and the New Orleans Saints, up on NFL Network. We've got about eight people asking us to weigh in on this. Quote, Stafford has been there for a while. I've heard some rumblings that maybe him and Patricia are maybe not getting along. Maybe they are. That's the entire quote. (laughs) There's nothing there. Maybe they are. Maybe there aren't. (laughs) Well, I am am fascinated by this because, like, yeah, on one hand, I think the first quick lay approach, which I'm sure, you know, some of y'all say is like, okay, that flakiness means there's nothing there. On the other hand, I've talked with Reggie before. Uh, This is maybe his way of trying to soften it and trying not to get the exact kind of blowback that we are doing right here. Right. Like someone, someone probably told him something. It's he understands that he's probably hearing this from another source who may be reliable, maybe not. He's trying to take as many names out of it as possible. And I mean, just quarterbacks and coaches don't always get along every time. I don't know what else to say, but I I would say it's not too much from like, if it's, if Reggie's softening it like that, I'm not going to worry too much about it, but there's, there's always, it, 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 there's ten, I think the point I'm trying to make is there's probably tension there. There's probably more to there's more credibility to Reggie trying to to uh, float this. But I would also say that fans, I think, are then going to take that and blow it up a little bit too much because the first year Patricia has coached with Matthew Stafford. It, I can't, I can't do Matt and Matt here. It's going to blow my yeah, head up. I think you made some good but, points yeah. there, and I think. Um, if it were something of substance that we should worry about, then I think more than just Reggie Bush would have come out and said something about it. So that's, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like sometimes these locker rooms can be really finicky like that. I just know from talking with Reggie, he does talk about his former time at the lions uh, every now and then. All right. Let, let me, let me talk about this. You, okay. you got me worked up. So let's, let's give this some background. The reason this, gained any sort of traction whatsoever is that bears Twitter took this quote when they saw it live and ran with it. I have not seen anyone outside of us talk about this quote because no one saw it. No one thought anything of it because even if they did see it, he was very wishy-washy in how he said it. Now let's talk about the clip itself. The clip itself is a segment where him and LaDainian Tomlinson are talking about fantasy traits that they'd like to see happen. And, and Reggie Bush wants Matthew Stafford traded somewhere to, I don't even remember probably the Jaguars because that's what everyone says. So he has, he has 15 seconds to rationalize it. And so he comes up with 
whatever he comes up with. And he throws out one throwaway sentence where to me, it doesn't even sound like he's selling it well himself. Maybe he has heard something to me. It was more like, yeah, I've heard there's been tension in the locker room between Matt Patricia and, and some of the players. Maybe Stafford is in on that. I, we've all heard that. We've all heard that, that Matt Patricia has rubbed some guys the wrong way. And by the end of the season, it didn't seem like it was an issue. And maybe that's already the progression that Matthew Stafford's gone through. So I don't care. I don't care about any of this. I don't care if there is friction between Matthew Stafford and Matt Patricia. Guess what? That's going to happen. Not every personality is going to mesh perfectly. I don't think Matthew Stafford wants out. I don't think Matthew, I don't think Matt Patricia wants him out. He certainly said things that, that have made it sound like he's the quarterback of the future. So this is a whole bunch of nothing. Thank you's bear forever for putting this in our question so that you've gotten me angry over nothing. Appreciate you bears fans. Thanks for listening. Let's take it. Well home said. Let's take it home then to keep you angry, to bring this podcast on home. Adam Suave. Love Stafford, but you want different results. Do something better. Kyler Murray, question mark, game changing. Stafford's a quarterback. Thank you for listening to the Pride Detroit POD cast. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our main theme was produced by Ryan Shepard. You can find him on Twitter and on SoundCloud at I am Brian Shepard. I-A-M-B-R-I-A-N-S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Thanks a lot to him. Check out his stuff. He's been great. He gave us Victory Monday, so go check him out. That's I am Brian Shepard. And thank you for everyone who keeps listening and makes us one of the greatest Lions podcasts possible. Y'all are awesome. See you star side. Star side.